Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. They heard that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FBL Black Box, <laughs> episode 76. Mark telling me off straight away because I've labelled the episode wrong. This is what happens behind the scenes, you see. He's, a, he's just a big old bully behind the scenes, always berating me. I'm a dictator, aren't I? <laughs> Tyrant. You put me in charge, but you're a backseat driver. Um, I will change it, though. It is episode 76. How are you, Mark? Good to see you. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just really happy to be the passenger tonight. You're driving, your turn. We're going to take it in turns, aren't we, throughout the season. You to host, me to host. Let's see if the listener and the viewer can spot when it's your turn. That's, yeah. that's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, with you doing the opening of, of like you did, I think it's going to be pretty um, pretty obvious. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like hosting. Hosting's fun. It is nice to be a guest though, isn't it, sometimes? There's a lot less pressure on, on doing all the tech and things. It but, is. Yeah. It is. I've got, I've got a bone to pick with you straight away, though. Go on. You've, you've left the ranks in, right? It's a new season. Right? I know you did well, but... Putting last season's ranks up, it's just not on, I'm afraid. We got rid of them for the first one. Oh, of the did season. we? It's a new season, Ash. Just let it go. I, let it go. In, in, in my defence, I just yeah. put on whatever you sent over to me, because you, you do you do the little scene transition thing and you send me that file and that goes in. And, you know, I'm, 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 blaming, I'm blaming you for that. But maybe, yeah. maybe I just wanted one more reminder of, of uh, last season. <laughs> What's going to happen Basking. this season? Who's going to, who's going to win it? Basking in past glories. <laughs> Basking in past... Who's going to win it? I don't know. Someone said... Uh, it was uh, it was Andy Mack, wasn't it? Said tonight on Twitter, surely the FBL gods would not let Mark beat... Uh, like, let as beat Mark again. Uh, what do you think about that? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've you been flip-flopping each year, haven't you? So this you're due a good season. So I think if I'm going to beat yeah. you, I'm going to... I don't know if it's good for us to both have a good season or or what. I mean, we can't both have a bad season. That's the main thing. As long as yeah. one of us is doing mm. all right, I, I don't really mind, even begrudgingly if it is, it is you. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. But I, as you'll see later, I am kind of experimenting this season mm. a bit. I, I kind of like, well, more on it later, but I kind of just want to 
try a few things out and yeah, you'll oh, see this that is, one. No is... one believes me, do they? No, no one believes I'm going to do it, but I am going to do it. No, this is um, this is literally music to my ears um, in hearing the. I know. Well, I might, you know, I might be playing in your hands, and right now Fabio Borges is probably going. Phew! I won't need to compete with Mark this season. You like he had to anyway. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm out of the Elite sixty four anyway, so might as well. I'm not really under the microscope anymore. I'm more like under the radar, aren't I? You just need to bounce back. You know. I did straight away first season. Mm. Just, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> um, yeah. We've got, <laughs> begrudging, begrudging laugh from Mark. Um, we've got an interesting yeah. episode today because obviously we covered a lot of stats last week and we've done the retrospectives and, and everything like that. So we're waiting for next next week's going to be big. We're going to start getting some press conferences, start getting some of the final preseason games. We're going to get the Community Shield and what happens with that on, on Sunday. Um, but what we thought we'd do in this episode is this is FPL Black Box. We haven't really talked about any of the kind of lessons that we've learned. And we do populate this kind of um sheet of, of lessons that we learn from from kind of each season which is the aim of of the podcast and i was looking through them before we came on and i can already spot things that i'm doing uh in in my team that i need to kind of address <laughs> um and hopefully it just shows people you know some of the things the mistakes that we make every year right and and we still we still get sucked into it don't we yeah, I think it's important to say, though, these aren't rules, right? We're, we're not telling people how to play FBL, and they're not even rules for us. Like, you can go against these. These are just things that, mistakes that we've made in the last two seasons that we've kind of logged and then wrote up not to do them again. Doesn't mean it's always bad if you go against what we're saying here. It can work. But as a rule, I think what we're going to show tonight is some good guidelines that if you can try try and stick to I think that's probably right guidelines not rules guidelines. I, I don't like rules no rules is a bit boring isn't it rules is like you know I think lessons is a good is a good word because they're, they're they've been lessons for us right in, in kind of doesn't mean we have to do what they say but we've we've been schooled by by mm. some of these um, I, I mean we, we've I think we've got a story for pretty much every one of these lessons well, or yeah. guidelines that we're going to do mm. um, just before we do that I just want to talk about we just mentioned Fabio Borges I just wanted to mention mm. him again because I've been doing some oh. Hall of Fame stuff for, for Scout, <laughs> yeah. um, looking at kind of the top five, and there's, there's been a bit of a shake-up. Uh, there's three of the of last year's top five have dropped out. Where am I, like two, three, four? Uh, I can't, can't see you, Mark, on this list, actually. Oh. If you've, gone, you've gone right, I, right, right down. You must be a bug in the system. <laughs> uh, it was, I'm sure I was up there when I used to run the thing, but anyway, let's, go on. Let's, let's see where you are. Hang on, let's have a quick look. Oh, don't do that. I shouldn't have said anything, should I? Uh, you are... I'm, I'm below in, slippers, I think. You're coming in at 303. It's not too bad. Guess where I am. Mm. Oh, you're not above me. I'm above If you, you. are, that just, oh, that, <laughs> you've just... You've just basically made what you're about to say a complete farce, haven't you? Right, because, you know, anything you say about the Hall of Fame now, people are just going to dismiss. I'm yeah. only joking. Luckily, oh. it ignores all of your amazing ranks from, you know, your old news yeah. now. All your, all your amazing oh, ranks yeah. ranks ago. Um yeah, I'm like 250 or something. So there's not much in it between us. But I, I just want I want to mention Fabio and Finn Solly, because Finn Solly is entering into yeah. elite status as well. Um, so Fabio's ranks over the last seven years, one, two, three, four, five, six. Do you know what his lowest rank is in seven years? What lowest as in like highest? As in as in his, as in his worst, as in his worst finish. His worst rank. Uh Probably about 16,000, isn't it? He's only nope. very rarely come outside the top ten, hasn't he? Top ten K. His worst rank in seven years is four thousand six hundred and eighty-two. That's crazy. 
He's had absolutely. He's had three top one k finishes in that time: two hundred and twenty second, ninety fifth, six hundred seventy one, and in the other two, he's finished one thousand one hundred forty five and one thousand eight hundred twenty eight. So it's almost six out of seven one k. What's he finishes? What's what's his best finish? What's his best finish? Uh, (laughs) Ninety five. Did I know? Ninety five. Not not forty two. Four was it four? That's about the only thing I've got on him, and it's only a matter of time before he does beat that. Well, I'm just clutching at straws, literally. He's going to win yeah. it. He's going to win it one year. I, I, Do you I think, think he will? I think it'd be will. great if he does, because yeah. if he does in a way, it'd be like, well, there you go. That, that proves it, doesn't it? That skill, skill is a factor. But, but I, I want to shout out Finn, Finn as well, because in in the yeah, same period, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in seven years, one, two, three, four, five, six. In this, in those seven years, Finn's worst finish is twenty one k. But he's had three 1K finishes in that time as well, coming 39th yep. uh, in 2021, 210th in 21-22, and 410th in 16-17. I mean, these. I mean, the, the the other basically everyone else is kind of flip flopping, kind of in and out. John Canning had a great season last year, came 60th and 184th the season before that. So he's pushed him right up. But mm. there's mm. no one as as crazily consistent as Fabio and, and Finn. I mean, that level is. is- but are they having fun as? Are they enjoying it really? You know, do they do they do they enjoy what they you know, do they enjoy finishing so consistently high of it? must be boring. It must it? be, yeah. I mean, you know, chucking a chucking a two hundred K rank in there every now and you then, know, that's just part of the fun, isn't it? Did yeah. they have the kind of enjoyment I got last season with that hundred and fifty six K rank that you've reminded yeah, me of tonight it. so coolly? Yeah, yeah, you loved it. You were you were desperate <laughs> to come on Black Box every week, if if I remember right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, just thought I'd mention them. Just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Thanks for that demoralising mention of people that are far better than us. <laughs> yeah. God, imagine if they did a pod together. That would be... I'd, de- I'd, de- I'd definitely watch that. I'd watch that more than I'd watch this. Um, well, right, let's get yeah, into some lessons. That would be fun though, would it? Yeah. yeah would, would, they be, would they be having fun? That's the, that's the key. Yeah, thing. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, right, lessons learned. Let's go with slide uh, number one. And these are slides. Back to the lecture. Um, so would you, do you want to run through these? I know I'm the host, but you're the one that kind of documents these kind of as we go. Yeah, so. I, I guess so. And like I said, you know, don't, don't think that these are half-assed rules or anything. We're not dictating things, but there are things that we found. I think, like you said, we've got stories connected mm. to most of these and we'll mm. probably bring them up as we go. Um, and I think, like, so this first page is kind of poignant because it's, um, it's about really the pre-seat. It's about the initial lineup. I think most of these. Um, they apply, some of them apply throughout the season, but particularly now when we're just about to pick our initial lineup. And, and, and that's what the first one says. Don't be swayed by high ownership when selecting your initial squad. Um, so what we mean there is, I guess, don't play through fear, right? You know, and, and, and the classic, the, cla- the classic example of this that we both, both fell foul of, I certainly did. Uh, was, I thought he'd be good. That's my defence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I admitted straight away it was purely brief. Yeah, because in this episode, I think the penultimate one before the season started, mm. I was saying how I didn't want to get Timo Werner. Right? And when I said that, oh, the reaction, I was like, oh, you're going to pay for that. Oh, he's going to absolutely set the Premier League on fire. And uh, I gave in out of fear because he had an ownership at this point about 40%. I think he started the season maybe like higher than that, around 50, maybe even 60%. It was quite high, ridiculously high. So much so that I just couldn't risk going without him. 
And I regretted it, obviously, as as anyone who went with Werner did earlier season. And I even kept faith of him, captained him, I think game week two or three at West Brom and he hit the bar. And, you know, I was I was kind of, every time I watched him, that, that kind of confirmation bias was like, oh yeah, he's going to come good, he's going to come good. Because I'd made that mistake and I didn't want to admit that I'd made a mistake because it felt so bad for me because I was on the verge of going against it and not mm. having him. What was your story with with Werner that season? Because you had him as well from the start, right? I did. I was I was convinced he was going to do well. I think the the opening fixtures were quite nice. I think they had, they mm. had Brighton in, in game week one. Um, had Southampton. That was the one you were worried about, wasn't it? You were worried about not having him in place for like one game in, in sort of game week five or six, like quite far down yeah. the line uh, when, he, yeah. when he was going to be kind of the most captained. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, th- this one is interesting because when I've been doing these kind of team reveal, team drafts for for Scout, uh, you know, talking to some, you know, like Neil and um, Obey, who's 50th on, on the Hall of Fame. Simon March has done one. Like we've had some really good people. And the guys who are the consistently best people, as much as still, I hate... Still, effectively, still, waiting for my, still waiting for my email on that, but I'm sure it's there somewhere. Oh, we get enough I must, of you. I must have missed it. Backboxing yeah, yeah, with yeah. Andy. Gee, the cards. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've yeah. tried to arrange one bloody call with you, let alone oh, multiple. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm so busy. I'm just a busy, busy man. Just a busy man, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Sorry, I threw you there completely. That's oh, right. Um, but they all, I don't like, like, you know, I don't like effective ownership. I don't like, I, I like mm. it in the sense that I like going against it. But when you actually talk to these top, top guys, they do use it. And you've talked about using it as a kind of tool yeah. in your arsenal. Um, you know, to, to you know, and, and game week one particularly. I mean, Gabriel Jesus is the first player that I think, and he, spoilers, he has entered into my, my draft. I, I said he wasn't in any, I wasn't completely against him. I think he's a good option. But he was the mm-hmm. one that I was looking at and thinking that's ridiculously high ownership um, and maybe there could be something there. But, you know, it's, it is tricky because he is good value. He has got good fixtures. And if you're going against it, you do run a big risk of getting punished really early. So it's an interesting one, this because I don't want to be swayed by high ownership, but everyone's telling me that I should be. Yeah, I mean, I'm likely to go in without Salah, Haaland and Jesus, who are the three top owned players. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but just because they're high owned doesn't mean that they're automatically going to, you know, bang. I mean, Salah will. Salah will score, I'm sure, right? But um, And Haaland will eventually, but I don't. I think he, he could have a you know, slowish start. But I um yeah, but I can't I can't let ownership dictate what I Good. do. I, I, fair enough. If I if I think Haaland, Salah, and um and Jesus are best for my team, then I'd pick them anyway, right? Regardless of ownership, I wouldn't look into that really. I would, it wouldn't be a factor. But what I, what I don't want to do is look at my team and then go, oh, I haven't got Jesus, and look at his ownership. I don't I don't want to do that. Really. Um, because and that's what this lesson's about. It's like don't. Don't let ownership sway you from what you think is the best team for you. And that's what I did with Werner. I I had, I think I had Danny Ings um, and Adams up front who, who started the season pretty well. Danny Ings certainly did. Mm. Um, certainly better than Werner. And even Adams did, I think, as well. I had Antonio Adams and, and Ings, I think, as my front three. And then or maybe two of those in my front two. I can't remember. But I didn't have Werner. And in the end, I ripped my team up to get Werner in. And he flopped massively. And I, I like I said... What happens then is like if you if you make that mistake, if you go for a high owner, say you get Jesus in and you make that decision, not because you think he's the best player for you, but you make that decision because you fear the ownership. Right? Yeah. You get him in and he does flop. And then it's really hard 
to go, I'm going to get rid now because you know you've gone, oh no, I only got him in because I was scared of the ownership. I only got him in through fear. Yeah. And, you, and it's hard to admit to yourself that you did that and change him. So you'll probably end up doing what I did, which is, no, 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 Werner yeah, was yeah. the right pick and I'll keep him, I'll keep him. And then it does even more damage. So, you know, mate, I guess this should be, this could be rewritten by, you know, by saying, make sure the decisions that you use to base your, uh, to build your national squad is based on what you think is best mm. for your team, not on other people have picked him, so therefore I've got to have him. Absolutely, right? yeah. I mean, that that's the key thing. I think Jesus is is not really in the same level for that because, I mean, I, I, I look at the forward options and think there's three, really. There's Haaland, there's Kane, and there's Jesus. Everyone from yeah. that is is such a huge, steep drop, drop-off. Um, Werner, I thought would do well. Werner, you didn't think would do well. I, could, I can kind of see the logic when it's a 50-50 call and you go with the highly, more highly owned player. I, I do kind of get that. I don't really like it because I still think mm. you could you could roll the dice and, and gamble on it. But I do understand the safety in in that. Like I kind of get it. But to pick a player who you genuinely don't think is a good option just because they've got a higher just because they're highly owned, that to me is I've said it so many times. I went on spaces drunk in Liverpool and talked about it. But there's there is people that play like that. And and fair play. And actually, some of the top managers do also play like that. They they cover their bases with the high ownership players and kind of try and make their the things elsewhere. It's not how I want to play, and I don't think it's how you do either, but it is a strategy. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some... I mean, Fabio may well pick his team like that. He may well go, right, well, I'm not going to go... <clears throat> I'm not going to go any other players other than ones that we've, have got popular ownership. I don't know. I don't know how he picks his team. Whatever he does works, of course, and it might yeah. be that ownership plays a factor. Um I, it's just, it's just for me. I don't like doing it because I know, and it, and a lot of these are. You've got to learn about yourself as an FBR manager, right? You've got to learn that if you if you make one of these mistakes, how you react to that. And I know in me, if I make that first mistake, if I get a player in for the wrong reasons, I will not admit that mistake quickly enough, and it will do more damage. Whereas you or anybody else listening to this might go, well, I can pick on ownership. And if it's a mistake, I'm quite happy to fix it straight away, right? But that's not me. I yeah, know yeah. what I'll do is I'll tell myself, oh, no, I've got to stick with it because it was the right call. And that's the worst thing, right? When yeah. you make a mistake, you've got to own up to it quick. And that's that's easy to do when you make the decision based on, you know, I'm I'm not going to go Salah. I'm going to go Som, right? And that's got nothing to do with ownership. I just think it positions me, well, it's got to do with the captaincy, right? It positions me well for game week two in that, I can then make a choice between De Bruyne and Haaland. I can change Son to De Bruyne or uh, Kane to Haaland or even Saka to Mares or Grealish or Foden or something like that, right? So it gives me an option game week two. Whereas I know if I've got Salah in, the only choice I've got for game week two will be Kane to Haaland, right? Mm. So because I know deep down I'm not going to get rid of Salah and I don't think many people would if they get him in at the start. And I also know I'm going to end up captaining Salah most weeks if I have him in my team. And I don't really want to do that. I want to be a bit more varied with the captaincy this year. So that might be a mistake. If it is a mistake and I'm in a lot of trouble, I will reverse that and I won't think twice about it. I won't go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. But if I got if I got a player in just for the ownership, I think I would lie to myself and keep going with it. So, you know, that's what I'm talking about. So you've what would to, be the mistake then? Yourself. What would be the mistake then if Salah gets a hat-trick in game week one? <laughs> I wouldn't change it straight away. No, you can't, right? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And I guess it wouldn't come down to Salah's form. It's more likely going to come down to the players I'm getting in and how they perform. Mm. Really. 
Because yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't doubt that Salah's going to do really well. I'm not, I'm not sitting here mm. saying, oh, Salah's not going to be the top scoring player. He probably will be, but um, I want to play this season where the captaincy is a factor and not like every week. I'm, my view is, if you get Salah in through fear, you're going to captain him most weeks through fear. So I just don't want to do that. I, I think last year Jamie Piggott showed that the captaincy, if you come off Salah, if you're brave enough to do it, then um, then you can do well. Um, and I just think myself, the only way I wouldn't captain Salah is to not own him because <laughs> I, I would just bottle it. You know what I mean? I'll just bottle it every week. So yeah. yeah. So I, it's about knowing yourself and what, how you think, and so you have to kind of adapt your team to that. Oh, you've gone full full FPL Raptor psychology. The psychology of Mark Sutherland. Oh well, yeah. Well, my book's out soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think Rashford's the one for me on on ownership. I'm seeing his ownership go up and up and up, and he's not someone who oh. I'm going to start with. I just I don't trust him. I, I think there's going to be multiple lessons that are telling me not to go for Rashford in in game week one and, and two. Um, let's go for the second one then. So this this one is yeah. is me. <laughs> this one is me every year. Um, it's that I think it's three seasons in a row um, where I've made multiple changes to my initial lineup at the last minute to include one player. I do it every year. I panic on, yeah. at the deadline, and I end up taking one player out. And, and you can you can see it with your with your, with the tinkering like I'm doing now, and I'm sure it, like, lots of people listening to this are doing. You take one player out, and then maybe they're a bit you get a, a slightly cheaper player. It's a domino effect, and like three or four players go out, and then. The game week starts and, you know, all the research you've done, all the planning you've done, all all goes out the window because you've panicked and, and tried to get one player in. And then all the other good players that you've taken out do well. And it just never works out. I, I, I'm determined this year not to not to do it. I want to I yeah. lock my team in after the team news and I've got all the information I have and all my research is done and then leave it. I think a Friday deadline does help with that, actually. Yeah, well, I, I Fest think, won't. <laughs> I know, Fest won't get, you know, drinking at Fest certainly won't help. Um, I think that it's okay if you go into Friday night with perhaps one decision to make. And if that one decision is a straight swap. Um, but if that one decision creates a domino effect where you've got to make five or six changes, mm. then it's like, mm, you've got to be really careful. Because then suddenly you're making, you're making last minute changes on multiple players and, and and that's never a good idea. Mate, even mate, even swapping one player at last minute, you've got to really think about it. You've got to make sure your thinking is sound, and you've done that. You know, you've gone through that those alternatives all through the week up to up to deadline. Um, you know, I, I've got I've got a situation in my team. I went, well, look, I've got two teams later on, and I still don't know if I'm going to go five at the back or or go with a, um, a four five. Same. So, exactly. Same. You know, so yep. so I have got. At the moment, a decision to make. I'm determined that I come out of the weekend, make that decision on Monday, and then that'll be set. Set, and then I might go into Friday with the choice of a couple of players, but no more than that. I do not want to go into Friday going, still don't know what formation I'm playing, and if I make one change, it's going to trigger five or six because I think that's like not a great situation to be in. So that's the lesson: try to avoid making multiple changes to your lineup, your initial lineup, at the last minute just for one player. So like, you know, if, you, if you're going without Salah or you're going with Salah, don't decide, actually, last minute, I'm not going to go with Salah, I'm going to get Son and then go, right, where am I going to spend the million? Oh, to spend the million, why is that? I've got to change five or six players. That, that's not going to be well. I remember the, the worst one for me was I, a, a couple of years ago, I took, I, had to, I think De Bruyne was 9.5, something like that. And I'd, I'd been on the FPL show and I was saying he's incredible value, like I'm going to definitely start with him. 
And then I just bought, I didn't even bottle it. I just took him out like 10 minutes before the deadline. I took out some other players as well. And I remember every single one, I took three players out, every single one of them scored and all the three players I bought in blanked. And I was like 30 mm. points, 35 points down on if I'd done nothing. And it's just like, that is such a horrible way to start a season. I know obviously you're going to always have players that you had in drafts and things, but when I mean, you've had them in like a couple of minutes before the deadline, it's, it's brutal. I just would advise yeah. not to do that. Yeah. And, and, and this week, like there were, well, there's going to be four weeks in a season where you change your entire team. Actually there's five because the free hit as well. Mm. And so, you know, it's in any given game week, you've got one transfer, you might have two, you might be taking a hit. So you've got one or two decisions to make. But of course, this week, you've got so many decisions to make. You do not leave many, many of those for the very last minute. Uh, and you might be sitting in now going, oh, I won't, I won't. But if you change, you have a change of heart on one player, if that if that frees up cash or it, you've got to free up cash to get them, suddenly it's yep. a domino. Effect, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a good one next. Uh, this reminds me of Pulisic uh, for you and Martial uh, for you. And probably you're, you definitely fall victim to this one more often than the most. Uh, avoid any player who is not mm. certain to start, even if manager comments appear to increase confidence. Now, straight away, mm. I have Mares alarm bells with, with this one. Um, you know, people are thinking he, he's nailed on. We saw last year that he wasn't, even though he was about the only fit player in the whole Man City side. Um, you've got burnt by this before. I think the the manager comments one is is interesting because often a manager will talk up a player who's not first choice mm. just to kind of give them a bit of a boost, even though they're not they're not actually in, in the plans. Um, what other players do you think this this kind of could relate to this this season? Because there's there's bound to be some surprises well, it, in the lineups. It, it could relate to Haaland, couldn't it? Mm. it like, you know, we could see him on the bench at the weekend, uh, come on, score a goal, and then Pep to say to talk him up. And say that you know um, he, he's he's ready to start, and then what happens? He doesn't start, right? So that would be a case of Pep giving an encouraging comment, and even though you see him not start the Community Shield, you think, oh, he's definitely going to start West Ham, mm. and then lo and behold, what Pep says has no bearing on. He says he's ready to start, doesn't mean he's going to start. That kind of thing, right? Because this is what happened with with Pulisic for me, wasn't it? He, he, Lampard came out and said, same season as Werner. And ironically, I did well this se- that season, so yeah. it, was a, it was a bad start. But um, yeah, he said that uh, Pulisic is, is fit. And um, I think he got an injury in training, did he, it turned out, and didn't play at Brighton. And then he was out for several games. And I started the season with Pulisic, just well as Werner. Um, and also, you know, as it turned out, even when he was fit, Pulisic was awful. So <laughs> it was, that yeah. season. So I think... Yeah, you've, you you don't want to be taking risks on players that aren't going to start, especially this season, because you look at many squads and many squads don't even have one sub, do they? You know, they've either got Nico Williams or they've got Andreas Pereira as their first sub. So if you go in with a player who has had injuries or hasn't had many pre-season minutes, forget what you might hear from the manager's prize yeah. Agree. Don't, I wouldn't I wouldn't risk it and the thing is that's the thing we do at this stage of the year we look for any crumbs of any crumbs of positivity about the players we want to get um, so like I say if you're really committed to Haaland Pep says he's ready to start even though he doesn't start on the weekend if that's the case you'll go oh that's fine great brilliant done deal um, because you just want to hear that right and um, when there's an alternative like Kane about, you don't really have to take that risk because you can move to him in game week two anyway or even wait mm. longer than that. So, I, I, you know, I personally wouldn't 
wouldn't do it if we see if there's any doubt i, I just i think do F- it. foden is, is someone who, who strikes me as that yeah. i mean he's been training under 23s it could be that pep comes out and says oh he's you know completely fine or whatever but the fact he hasn't had a pre-season with the senior team means i think he's he's too big of a risk um yeah. in that position so um i had another one as well but i've, I've forgotten who it is but yeah, I, I think it's Harland is interesting. And you talk about, you know, if if, if you are going, you know, four five one or five four one or something like that, you need Harland to play, otherwise you don't get even get a sub. You've got to have that one striker spot as well. And again, that's another thing that was drawing me towards Jesus, if I did go with, with Son and Salah, is that if Harland is to miss out a game and I've got what Archer and Greenwood as my two two subs, I mm. need I need minutes from them, which is, which isn't guaranteed. So mm. it is it is risky, I think, to start with with Harland as your sole striker when there's Jesus and Kane who are definitely going to play. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else to that? No, no, I think it's no. good. Cool. I think we've done that one. Yep. Uh, so next one, set up your initial squad so you have the opportunity to react to bandwagons at a variety of price points. I mean, mm. this is what a lot of people... Oh, Perisic. Sorry, Perisic was the other one I was thinking of. Um, yep. Because again, he hasn't had much of a pre-season. It could be that yep. Conte comes out and says he's fine. But again, no pre-season, but there's going to be some worries. Um, yeah, I mean, price points. I mean, price points are, are interesting. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about the 8 million midfielders because there's so many of them, Kulisevsky, Madison, Diaz, Mares, all these guys. I'm wary of going into the season without an 8 million mid. Um, but if you play five at the back, it's it's hard to fit one in. Yeah, I and I think what you got to do here is kind of play out some scenarios in your head. Play out some scenarios about, okay, I'm not going in with Rashford. What if Rashford bangs and after two game weeks, he's going up 0-1, What do I do? Can I get him in? And if I need to get him in, how do I do it? Mm. And obviously you can do it in two free transfers. Right? That goes without saying. But ideally you want to set up so you can do it in one. Um, so I think this is just about having a look at having a look at some of the players that you're not going to go with and going, okay, if, if there is, if it worse happens, how can I how can I go to plan B? Can I go to plan B quickly? Does my team enable me to do it? The example being here is if like you go Jesus and you go cheap two cheap forwards, or you go Jesus, Wilson and a four five, right? And Kane or Harlan take off. You are you've got to make two transfers to mm. react to that. And um, you know, so, so don't so don't, I wouldn't do it. I you know, with Harland as a factor for game week two, it makes sense going with Kane because you can make that swap. Uh, if you go with Jesus and a, and a, and a 7.5, it's going to be more difficult for you to do that, right? And, you know, you don't want to be, you want to set up so you can quickly move. I mean, obviously you can say, well, I think Jesus is going to do better than Kane game week one. Fair enough, fine. But what do you really know at this point? Game week one is the game week we know the least about, right? So I think it's that you, you take as few risks as possible, says the man who's not going to have Salah, and you... <laughs> And you set your team up so you can react accordingly, right? So you can react to anyone who, t- who takes off because we don't know. We I don't mean, the, know. With, um, with, with, with that in mind, the and, and this is the kind of the thing that I keep coming back to, with that in mind, the most logical formation for me is a, is a 4-4-2 because you've got the two strikers and there's kind of three kind of decent ones. We don't know where the, where the value is going to be. If it, you know, everyone's thinking it's going to be in defence, but equally midfielders could could absolutely explode as well. And it lets you react easier. It gives you a bench. It's it's just the most kind of, it's the most sensible play for me. Five at the back is a lot harder to move into midfield and forwards if a player does explode. You know, if a seven million mid suddenly comes into it and you've got five, six million defenders, 
how the hell are you going to be able to get, you know, get into that? How are you going to be able to get Grealish if he, if he looks really strong? How are you going to be able to get Sancho? Yeah. Coutinho is there as well. I mean, there, there are options and the 8 million mids um, as well. So I think the 4-4-2 with an 8 million mid and some, you know, a couple of, you know, Trent and then Cancelo and then maybe a, a James or a, or, a, or even a Dean to cover the 5 millions and then Jesus and Kate. I can see why the template exists as it is because it's just, an, it's not only good players, it's also a quite a flexible um, I, I see. I prefer four five one because uh, experience tells me that if there's going to be bandwagons, like and I'm, I don't, I mean, I know defenders could do. Say Trippier does well. I always say Trippier, like he's French yeah. or really Trippier. Say Trippier does well against Forest. He could be a bandwagon, but I don't think he's going to go from five one, five two, five three really quickly, right? Because defenders just don't. Mm. They don't. People don't make those moves. But if Rashford bangs, he could go. Six five, six six, six seven, six six eight within three or four games, easily. Right, we saw it with Calvert Lewin, didn't we, a few seasons back? He was cheap, started scoring goals, he accelerated quickly, right? And I think I took a hit to get him in. It, so I think it's attacking players who tend to be the most volatile in terms of the price rises. Defenders, yes, they can be bandwagons, but I think they're not going to accelerate accelerate away from your team as quickly as midfielders and forwards can. So I personally think that's why I'm now leaning towards four five one if I can help it, because then, you know, if there's someone like say you know there's someone like Gibbs White or someone like that, it's going to be a five million or five like it could be Bailey like say I don't go Bailey and Bailey scores two at Bournemouth, I want to be able to react to go to Bailey if I'm playing if I'm playing if I've only got if I've got four midfielders and Pereira, I can't go Pereira to Bailey, I would have to downgrade someone who's probably about seven or eight million to get Bailey and am I going to do that whereas if I'm playing four five one and I've got a five five mid I can come down off that to Bailey or something like that so think about those players who could I mean it's very difficult to anticipate it but you you know you probably know there's probably 10 players you look Mm. at and think they're not in my team they could do well game week one and they're attacking players who could increase in price quickly I've just named a few you know there's there's plenty out there who are kind of cheap could do well game at one, not going to make it into my team. Neto could be one, for example. If you don't go with Neto, make sure you can come down to him, I would say, because going from Pereira to Neto is going to mean you're going to have to either sell your 6.5 midfielder or you're going to have to do two transfers, I mean, the, the, want to do. The issue with four five one though, is you're going in with Neko Williams and two non-playing strikers. So in mm. terms of your flexibility around that, it's... It's really low. I mean, I know we're not expecting the strikers to to do amazingly well, but I mean, you've still got Ivan Tony, Calvert Lewin, Bamford. You know, these guys yeah, have, not, have done it in the past. There's no, I mean, but if you, I've got Kane, if I've got Kane, I'm not moving off him, am I? I'm going to give. You know, it, you're going to show patience with an 11.5 forward. Aren't yeah, you? no, if, no, I'm, if, I'm not saying that. I'm saying how are you going to get that 4.5 yeah. non-playing forward up to you know Undav comes well, in for Brighton at 5.5. Well, you do if if they start scoring regularly every week. I I I think it, it's traditionally it's the midfielders that are the ones you 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 go after. I I mean like it, Undaf would have to do it. Undaf would have to do it over a number of weeks before I go right. I need him. I do you think. not hate the idea of two non-playing forwards though? Because I do. No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't because I just think the value we saw last season from forwards is so low. And like Undaf is not. If Undaf flies, he's not going to break my season unless he gets. 20 goals. No, right? I mean, I, I just think a four-five-one gives you, you know, it gives you, it gives you a Neko Williams, it gives you a Pereira, and then it gives you a punt mm. on like a Greenwood who, who could get minutes. I think that is kind of, 
talk about optimal, that's kind of one of the optimal no, no. benches, I think. Four five four five one four five one isn't Nico and Pereira. Four five one is no, a four Nico. four two is a four four two. Is. A four four two. Right, okay. A four a four five one is two non playing forwards. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Neko one sub. That's my point. A four four two gives you. Well, what I'm banking two, on two there is, is is no forward emerging as a must have bandwagon. Yeah. Given last season, I think that's a pretty safe presumption. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah, it could happen. Like a bargain forward could go mad, but I think with forwards, you need to see that over a number of weeks, and because they score less heavily than midfielders, you give yourself time to do it. With a midfielder. If Gibbs White gets two goals on the opening day and he plays up front in the false nine, you're going to want to go for it, right? If mm. Undav scores for Brighton and Man United, you ain't going to think, I've got to do it. You I might will. do on a Gibbs White, would you? Okay. On a Gibbs <laughs> White at 5-5, five, five, playing up front for Wolves, I'd go, got to get that player mm. in because he's going to play up front for eight or nine weeks. He's getting five points for every goal and he's getting clean sheets. Whereas Undav, okay, he scores at Man United, but I'll go, I'll give it another three or four weeks, I think. That's just my view anyway. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the, the forwards were so bad last season that it's hard to imagine them being a factor. But it was only the year before mm. that that we had Calvert-Lewin and Bamford who were yeah, yeah, yeah. absolute, mm. like, essential players in, in our teams. I mean, remember Calvert-Lewin's start that year? He was, he was getting a goal. He got, what, seven in a row or something? Or, or something crazy. Bamford getting 200 points. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's it's like to happen again. I think we can only go with the kind of knowledge that we've got, which is that the forwards are mm. pretty dead in the water. But... Yeah. Anyway, I do. I I think four four two in terms of flexibility is 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 the best. But yeah, I mean, I see you've your got point to put, as well. you've got to nail your colours to the mast. Yeah, I got I got it right this year. This this time over this show, you've got to choose what you want to do, haven't you? Mm. I'm choosing to back the midfielders. You're saying you want to remain flexible and be able well. To, you'll to see my teams in a bit. I I do like five at the back <laughs> as well, which is the completely the most inflexible. I think I'm looking right. at a five four one, which is goes against everything that I'm saying on this. Maybe, maybe I need to add this as a lesson. Well, there you go. Already, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we talked about, you talked about defenders um, sort of being less volatile and, and easier to kind of get on, unless you get mm. like a Lundstrom, you know, a four million defender who scores game week one. Um, I I almost think I want to jump on that because I've, I've been guilty of missing out on, on those points. Wamba Sacra a few years ago, um, you know, people who, you know, if you've got Pereira and we see, you know, another four point five. I mean, there's um De Silva, isn't there, of, of Brentford? He looks like the kind of the the, yeah. the other one who looks quite decent. Um, I want to kind of get that spot locked in quite quite early because it's such a key thing to have a decent sort of four point five four million option. But yeah. generally speaking, the defenders um do do go up less uh, less quickly. Um, the other point is be mindful that high scoring and cheap attacking players will be served to offer the most value in the game weeks. And again, I think that is there's so many players that that could apply to. You talked about Neto. Martinelli, you know, Odegaard is someone that I want, we're going to talk about yeah. in a bit. I think he he could ha- he could be an absolute bargain this season. You know, 1.5 less than, than Saka. Been really impressed with, with what I've seen from him. Rashford as well, if he does start strongly, if, if Rashford gets a goal against Brighton, I completely agree. He's he's going to go up in price a lot. Yeah. So you have got to react quickly to these. Yeah, so I mean, this scenario, if Rashford and Martial score, right, which one are you most likely to want? Mm. Rashford or Martial? It's going to be Rashford. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's what that was my point. You know, it's like there's something about the midfielder option that makes you think that's the one I've got to go for because there's that extra extra value. But yeah, I mean, I I think it is for me. I think you're you're less likely to panic about defenders. Basically, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. 
carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, yeah, so uh, consider for Game Week 1, our knowledge and intel is at its weakest, so prioritise proven picks and teams uh, that could offer a degree of reliability. I mean, we all get excited by new, shiny things, don't we? Like it's, it's just, and that's, you know, mm. Harland is such high ownership and Kane is so low. We talked about that kind of last week. But yeah, it, it completely is. And I think this season, you, we don't need to take punts on kind of new... It, it's not like we've got quite exciting options from crap teams like we've got good cheap options from like the top teams as well so yeah there's, there's going to be a lot less risk taking i think in people's in people's size yeah and there's a, there's a lot of presumed knowledge i mean we add to that i mean we we look at last season's that data don't we as a guide to help us pick game week one but really that this is when data is the least relevant to our decision because it's a whole season back and Everything changes over the summer. Tactics, managers, players, um, you know, so much fitness, so much changes in the in the break between the season end and the next season start. That it's very difficult. You shouldn't be taking data and going, right, I'm going to base my decision on this data because that data is at its weakest or the data you've got is at its weakest. And then really it takes three to four game weeks before, and even then you can argue the sample size is too small. So if you're a manager guided by data, which I am, I, it, it's very difficult. Right? You you know the least, and so you've you've kind of got to go on a little bit on reputation, uh, and I guess you are still going on data, but you're going on data not mm. just from last season. Season you're going for several seasons. So, for example, I'm back in the city and Liverpool defences, right? Because I think I'm going to go in with two from each. Now, that's not using last season's data in a way you can say it is, but it's kind of lo- it's 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 using. What I'm thinking is common sense, as in the two best defence are very likely to be those two teams, right? It could be that Chelsea creep in there or Spurs, but I would have thought at the end of the season or mid-season or any point in the season that we grab data, Liverpool and City will probably be the top two defences. So, you know, you, you you back them, right? Back Liverpool and Chelsea defences. Don't, don't go with a team that has no City defender or no Liverpool mm. defender or just one of those teams. I wouldn't. I'd try and go as heavy as you can on those two defences because of all the things that you can rely on, the Liverpool and City defences are probably two of the best things we can rely on with no data and no matches played, I think. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think a great example of that is is the kind of Robertson over Diaz kind of quandary that a lot of people are having. Mm. I mean, we we aren't really sure what this new look Liverpool side is going to look like. We know that there's going to be rotation across that because there's four or five players for, for those three spots. And you know what you're going to get with Robertson. You know you're going to get a player who over the season is going to get close to or even break 200 points. And we're not... I mean, we all know Diaz is a, is a good quality player, but we don't know really know what his FPL pedigree is like because he didn't hit huge heights when he signed in in January. His underlying numbers were okay, but didn't hit, didn't indicate that he's going to get like near to Salah, for example. 
he's not going to be a captain option for, you know, for people who are like you who are thinking of going without him. Um, but you know what you're going to get, Robertson, every week. So for me, this rule does apply to that. I think it's, I mean, I've, I've got the two drafts I want to show later. I've got one with Diaz and one with Robertson. But really, I, if I'm picking one of those two players, and it's not as easy as that, don't get me wrong, because there's, you know, formations and structure and everything like that. But I'd pick Robertson any day over Diaz. Yeah, if, if, I, if, it's purely, I if it was so. purely, you know, say it's a draft, you could pick one. I'd, I'd definitely be picking Robertson. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Diaz is a, uh, you know, picking a Liverpool attacker has a certain amount of reliability as well. Right? You know Liverpool are going to create chances. And as long as you're getting someone who's going to get minutes, that's okay. But I don't think a Liverpool attacker is as assured as a Liverpool defender now or probably most of the season. Um, you know, I, you, you'll, you'll always back Salah over a Trent or Robertson for the captaincy because the ceiling. But in terms of reliability, arguably, arguably, I put this to you, Trent and Robertson, probably more reliable than Salah yeah. right, in terms of returns. No, it's those so, clean sheets. Those, those clean yeah. sheets that Liverpool just get and, and grind out every week. I mean, Cancelo as well could could be someone who who really does start entering into the captaincy decision uh, next year. Um, yeah, and 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 this isn't. We're not saying do that all season. We're just saying start like that, and then change it up. And again, we go back to last episode where we said it's quite unique this season, and that we've got that unlimited transfers between seventeen and eighteen which means we're not going to push mm. the first wild card late. We're going to try, I imagine, and play it as early as we can within reason. So therefore, you know that the team you're picking now is going to change in four, five, six game weeks, maybe only three, four game weeks. I don't know, but you know that. So you're not, you're only kind of going with a liability for now. You can change it up when there's data in, and then you can go yeah. Diaz over Robertson if you really want. I mean, the, the, the danger is, and it goes back to the earlier lesson that we had, is that if Diaz gets off to a strong start, he's going to be 8.5 in a few weeks. Whereas we're not going yeah. to see Robertson going up to 8 million. I wouldn't have thought. No. So, but if you start with a Mount or Saka, you can make that move quickly, right? That's the idea. Well, you, you can't if Diaz goes up 0.1 in the first couple of days. No. <laughs> That's the thing with the 8 yeah. million bracket, isn't it? Or if one of your players goes yeah. down, if you get the wrong one, you know, say, say you, you get in Madison and he blanks against Brentford and, and Diaz and Mares both score game in one, you're going to have to make a decision very quickly whether you want to make that switch. Yeah. But at least you, at least you can make a decision without taking a hit. Right? Yeah. yeah, Saturday or Sunday night, you can, you can, you're in a position to do that if you really want to. But then it's difficult. Whether if you, I if would you've make gone... an immediate swap, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because then if you've got, if you're planning on doing the Kane to Harland swap, suddenly you'll have to take oh, a yeah. minus four just yeah. to just to block it out. It's a, it's a tricky balance. But the, yeah. the, other, the other team I want to mention here is, is Man United as well. So we are seeing investment in Martial in Rashford. Um, no, no Fernandez is. I don't see any Fernandez in anyone's draft. He's, he's a bit too expensive. Um, Dallow is, is creeping into quite a few drafts mm. um, as well. Mm. Do you think this kind of feeds into this lesson is that we just don't really know what we're going to get from United? Okay, the signs have been decent, but would you be surprised if they got turned over by Brighton in game one? No, I'm not going in on United yet. Dallow's tempting. If I, has, if I was going to go a 4-5 defender, Dallow probably looks to be I in think the so record. as well. Yeah, I yeah. think he's probably so, Justin. I, I think, think that, yeah, so I think that's okay. Or Brighton, maybe, or Dunk. But um, I do think there's an element of doubt over Rashford, Martial, and Sancho, right? So for me, they are players to consider with the wild card rather than players to go with game week one. Um, how much damage are they going to inflict if you don't go then game week one? Yeah, they could. I mean, I guess they could all do massively heavy damage, but Ten Hag's impact would have to be pretty extreme for that to happen, really. 
Um, and obviously other players would have to struggle for you to want to get a Rashford in or a, mm. or a, or a Sancho in. Um, I, you know, I, I guess Saturdays, the friend, the last friendlies could change minds a bit, but I, I still feel United, the jury is out on them still. I think that's the status that I'm giving them. And if the jury's out, then I'm not going to go in on game at one with them. Well, it feeds into the next one. Be wary of teams in transition who have made mm, wholesale yeah. changes to key positions or the spine of the team. I mean, you know, yeah. Pog, okay, they haven't really made, two, I mean, Pogba's gone, obviously, but a lot of the team is, is kind of the same. I mean, Ronaldo potentially leaving or not playing is going to be a big transitional change for them, but we think that's probably going to be for, for the best. But they are definitely a team in transition, man, you. No one knows what we're, we're going to kind of get from them. I mean, the biggest team in transition, though, you're wearing their T-shirt. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, yeah. But then they're, they're not a team we would rely on anyway, are they? They're a promoted team. So I think any promoted team counts as a team in transition because they're new to the Premier League and they've got to adjust. And we, we don't really know how any of them are going to fare. Um, I think Forest will struggle initially anyway because we've mm. got so many new players. So. Um, I would have thought Fulham and Bournemouth will feel out their first few fixtures. I mean, really, we've seen not, teams like Norwich absolutely fly from the off. So it really depends on the mentality of the manager. And Marco Silva could tell Fulham to go out and attack Liverpool in the first game week and we might see Liverpool concede and Fulham give them a game. You never know, but you never know is probably the right phrase. We just don't yeah. know. So I don't think, you know, like I said earlier, if if you think, oh, I'm going to go Mitrovic, so I'm not going to get Kane, so I'll go Jesus and Mitrovic, you are putting yourself in a position where you can't react to either Kane or Haaland mm. doing well without taking a hit. And I think that's not a great situation to be in. Um, you know, again, it's it's about looking at the players that you're going without and how likely they are to damage you. And obviously, if you go without, if you're not going Kane, Son, De Bruyne, Haaland, these are all players who could do a lot of damage in a short space of time. If you're not going Rashford, Neto, uh, Sancho, how much damage are they yeah. going to go? How much damage are they going to do? You know, they'd have to be a massive sea change in their output for them to really hurt you. So that's I, what we're talking about. I, yeah, and again, it's kind of like, if you genuinely think United are going to hit the ground running, you know, under Ten Hag, and now's the time to... Because I'm, I'm considering Sancho, for example, because I think there could be a okay. bounce, particularly early on, and, and that kind of thing. It doesn't mean... We're not saying don't get them. We're just saying, you know, you, you have to be aware that it could backfire massively because we, we've seen it before. I mean, two teams in which have lost key players is, is Brentford um, losing Ericsson. I think that, that massively yeah. impacts on, on Tony and Brentford have had a poor pre-season. So is he. I don't even think Tony's scored, has he, in, in pre-season yet? Um, he hasn't, hasn't, been, hasn't been doing well. And Brentford and don't scored, quite right. But- as they all yeah. right, get him in bandwagon. Yeah, um, yeah, and the and the other team is Leeds, right? Leeds losing Calvin Phillips. That's got to be the biggest. Talk about a spine of a team. That's about the biggest loss you can get. So the people can well, say I'd, I'd, I'd say Chelsea as well because in defence, losing Rudiger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are there are teams that I they're talented teams with talented players, but I want to wait and see. And he, you know, even Chelsea, I'm not going to go James or Chilwell. I did think about it. But they haven't got Kunde now. He's he's gone to Barcelona. So I don't know what they're going to do at the back. Are they going to play four at the back for a good while before they switch to wing backs? Looks that way. And so mm. that's put me off, right? That's put me off going any of their defence. Um, and Leeds, yeah, I, I think Leeds have got some good players there. I think they're, you know, they 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 should be all right this season. Um, but they're going to take time to bed in, aren't they? You know, I don't think Jesse Marsh is going to know what he's going to get no. in the first few game weeks. So... We shouldn't bank on it either. 
Um, cool. I'm just going to turn these ranks off. I think we've punished you for long enough. So, I'll just turn those <laughs> so you, you do know how to turn <laughs> them off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just put them on out of choice. Yeah. So that that claim at the start. Oh well, I just did what I did, you gave I did me. Do what you said. I did what you said. Although I can't work out how to take the um, yeah. the arrows off. So they might have to stay on there. So I've got a green. You've no, you can't. Red. You can't. No, there you go. Perfect. Is yeah, it? maybe that's that's. Here we go. Maybe that's I'll put the ranks quite back meaningful. On looks a bit weird with just the arrows. Put them back on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Moving on to uh, lessons learned too. And just just at this point, if you are watching, we've got uh, twelve hundred people watching live. The chat is wow booming, fantastic, which is awesome. Uh, if you are enjoying this uh, stream, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. We get we're getting more views than we do um, subscribers, so that's not right. So if you could please subscribe to the channel um, and help us on our way to thirty k, that would be um, amazing. Because we are going to do some match of the day challenges and stuff, and impromptu stuff. Yeah. We might only do it. We might only do it once or twice in a season. Maybe we just go live. You, you won't even miss know. it. You don't even oh, know. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. We might just do that. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, like the stream, um, so we're 177 likes with 1,200 people watching. So if you could all just click the button and just press the like button right now, we would um, really appreciate it. Uh, it'd be amazing. Um, oh, and the other thing is, I've had a lot of people asking about the league code. Um, which is now on the screen. We've updated the graphics uh, a little bit more as well. I think they look they look really nice now. I'm, I'm really thanks happy to Lynn for those. By yep. the way, yep, they look uh, they look great. I like the fade and stuff. It looks really nice. Uh, but the lead code is, and I was I, someone did message me and said they couldn't quite work out my pronunciation. So I'm going to be really clear here. It is I couldn't to be honest when I was trying to get it off the podcast, really. I'm like, what was it? I, I had to play it four or five times. Yeah. Okay. It is uh, three V seven D Q nine. Happy with that? Yep. Yeah, that was very good. Thank you. Very clear. I would do it phonetically, but I don't want to mess it up and embarrass myself, so, <laughs> so I won't. <laughs> yeah, and, and you do that thing that Arthur, Roger, Foxtrot, oh, whatever. I, I always, I always start that like with someone on the phone. I yeah. always go, so it's S, and then I forget the actual terms for the letters, and then I just make I go N for Noddy, <laughs> yeah. S for Sugar, and I'm like, what am I doing? It's like anyone from the army hearing me would be like. Jesus Christ, I can't stand that. They just make it up as they go along. Infernoddy. Infernoddy is amazing. <laughs> and sometimes if I'm frustrated with the other person on the other end, I go, I for idiot, like things like that. And I think oh, they get the message. So. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's even more embarrassing than not trying at all, I think. That's, that's about as bad as it gets. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, do you want to go, for, you can you can take these. I kind of ended up taking yeah. over the last page. You can take page two. That's all right. Uh, page two then, these, these go beyond the initial lineup. Um so, be mindful of swapping failing heavy hitters too soon. Consider their fixture-proof qualities. There's no comma in there, bad grammar. But I think this this harks back to the the Son, the Son four goals at Southampton. If you remember um, that season, and again, it was that season where we went Werner. Um, there was a lot of managers who started Son and Kane, and then they didn't do very well in that first game. I think it was Everton at home, if you remember. Spurs won one. Uh, Spurs lost one nil. They did they? I think Calvert Lewin scored and they lost one nil. Spurs, and they looked pretty dreadful in that first game. Uh, and then a lot of people who were on Kane and Son just immediately got rid because they were like, "Well, Spurs didn't really look like scoring goals, and I need to get rid of these players." Uh, and then in the next game, Southampton away, Son and Kane went absolutely mad, and I didn't have either of them. No, you neither. Um, but then I didn't start the season with either of them either, so I didn't feel you said, as you bad. Said, and as you still had a good season that year. I don't know how you managed it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds like that was a disastrous start, wasn't it? It was. Oh, it was around. a disastrous start. Yeah, well, that was, was that was Jesse Lingard, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. Jesse and and Gundogan saved it for me. But yeah, so I think my answer is like, say for me, example, right? 
If I don't go Salah, I've changed it. I'm, I'm, I'm wavering already if I don't go Salah now. Go. Uh, if, I, <laughs> if I don't go Salah and I go Son and Kane, which I think, you know, that's what I'll do. And then Son and Kane play Southampton and, you know, there's one assist or something. Or maybe they both blank. I'm not going to give up on them. I'm not going to go, well, that's it. I'm going to get rid of both of them for De Bruyne and Haaland, right? Because they could go to Chelsea and do really well. Fixtures look against them. Uh, in game week two but you know Chelsea's defence in transition and Spurs went to City last year and scored three goals let's face it so Son and Kane are players that are fixture proof right they proved it they went to to the Etihad and Kane got two goals and I don't know how many Son got I think Kulusevski got a couple of assists Spurs are a team who can go against fixtures especially away from home you know the way Conte sets up so just don't give up on those heavy hitters You, you didn't get them in for one week or maybe you did but Think about it before you get rid of them because obviously the, the elite players can do it against anyone. They'd be very careful about moving off them. Well, yeah, quickly. and I mean, the other thing as well, which is which is what puts me off, is now putting me off the Kane to Haaland swap. Is so much can happen in game week one as well that it's almost a luxury move to, to change out a heavy hitter for another one when you might have other fires mm. to put out or there might be a bandwagon that, that emerges, which is why I'm really not keen to book in that early transfer of, of Kane to Haaland because I can't see any way, unless Haaland is injured, I can't see any way in which you're not going to captain Haaland in, in game week one. I mean, maybe you could go for De Bruyne instead. In game week two. In, sorry, in game week two. It's got, it's got to be, you've got to captain a Man City player in, at home to Bournemouth. Yeah, but it could, be, it could be anyone. If, if, Mahrez, if Mahrez starts Community Shield, if Mahrez starts at West Ham and does well, why wouldn't you get Mahrez? Yeah. I mean, I, personally, I don't think there's a massive gap between any of the City assets. If, if, you, if you said to me, Marmes is going to play five games back-to-back. Haaland's going to play five games back-to-back and De Bruyne plays five games back-to-back. I don't think you could be absolutely certain which one of those five is going to get the most points because Marmes' points per 90 is actually really strong. So, you know, those three players, if, if you knew they were playing, I don't think there's much to separate them, but there's a lot to separate them in terms of price. So, you know, I think it's quite difficult with City to pin the tail on the donkey with like, this is the player that's going to get me loads of points. Obviously, with Liverpool, it's Salah normally. You, you, there's not another attacker that you'd, you'd back at the moment. You wouldn't put a captaincy on Diaz and you wouldn't necessarily feel like you have to get Diaz in like you would Salah. With Spurs, it's Son and Kane. It's easy, right? Those are the players to back. With City, we think it's Haaland. We think it's De Bruyne. But it could easily be Mares, Foden or Grealish as well. Yeah, right? just, I think I'm... We'd, I'm, we'd have to see. I'm, I, 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 would, I would put De Bruyne and... and... Harland in the bracket of Salah and Kane and Son in terms of the most likely Would players. You? Yeah, absolutely. F- Foden, Grealish, Mares aren't going to get close to De Bruyne and, and Harland this year. I don't think they're... Uh, well, Harland we don't know. We, we imagine Harland will be as reliable as Salah and Kane and Son, yeah. De Bruyne, I don't know. I don't, you know... I, I think people, I I think people, I think people are sleeping. I think people are sleeping on him and I can kind of understand why because Son and Kane and Salah are so... Interesting, but that, that's one of the reasons why I was considering a Son and Salah draft was maybe thinking of moving Son over to De Bruyne rather than moving Kane over to Haaland because I think De Bruyne could yeah. be an absolute monster mm. now he's now he's fit. Yeah, time. yeah. I, I I think if I move to a City player game week two, I want to give myself all three options. I want to be able to go. I could go mm. Saka or Diaz to an eight or or Foden or uh, Grealish or Mahrez. It's a very good point. Kane to Haaland or Son to De Bruyne. I can do any of those three moves or I could do none of them. Like, what if they don't play well at West Ham and Bournemouth 
get a nil-nil in their first game and look really defensively sound. You, you might go, maybe City are only going to win a couple two-nil. Or maybe maybe Pep takes De Bruyne off after an hour. Then are you going to captain De Bruyne game week two against Bournemouth where he might not even start? You know, if, if lots could change oh, yeah, that, 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 your mind. That, uh, that went terribly for people last year, didn't it? When he didn't play. And then what he was got, that? We, he didn't play... He, he didn't play, did he, the first game after the Champions League when lots of people brought him in and then he got four goals the <laughs> the, the week after in the in double game week. Oh, that was that? Last year. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, obviously that can go really. against you, but that's really bad luck, isn't it? That's extreme. Those extremes might not happen again. We saw a lot of that last season. I better not. But I, can't, I can't handle that pain, especially not live no. on bloody stream. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, I mean, we're sitting here now going, it's absolutely nailed on we'll want a City play against Bournemouth. Things could change. Things could change, definitely. Um, and, yeah, I think I would be probably more inclined right now to go Son to De Bruyne. Mm. But then I haven't seen Haaland play against Liverpool in the Community Shield yet. Maybe that will inform the decision more. But right now, I would probably back De Bruyne over Haaland, yeah, because mm. I haven't seen I haven't seen City with Haaland yet. So, yep. Yep. You can carry on. You can do this. You can do this. Next one. Next one. Don't let potential price drops be too powerful as a tiebreaker for transfers. Right. So I do this. I didn't do it last season. Last season was probably the one where I paid less, the least attention to price drops and price rises. But what I tend to do sometimes, and this is me as a manager, this might not apply to you. You might go, well, I never, I never let price drops or price rises affect my transfer decisions, but I do. Um, I could be sitting there on a Sunday night going, right. Shall I wait till Friday or shall I make the transfer now because, I don't know, Mount's dropping mm. and Diaz is going up, for example, right? Now, I'd have to be absolutely convinced that Diaz is going to do better for me than Mount because often what I would do is go, I'm not utterly convinced, but can I afford to let the price drop hit me? And then, you know what I mean? I let mm. that, that fuel my decision-making so much that I end up forgetting the fact that actually Mount's a good player and he can do just as well, if not better. So that's what you've got to be wary of. Like, Obviously, you want to be aware of price rises and price drops, but also be aware of how much they're affecting your decision-making and make sure that they don't be too powerful in waiting your decision to go for or against a player. And, and crucially, when you go with that player, right? You know, you, often I've moved for a player because I think they're going to get a price rise or a price drop. They don't get a price rise or a price drop and you make the move anyway. Oh, and then you think, the oh my God, I really hope I've made the right decision now. And the reason why you're thinking that is like, you know, you've made that decision when you did just because of the price rise or price drop. I always, I do it at least once or twice a season. And then you're sitting there through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, thinking, God, if, if there's team news on Friday that that player I bought in is a doubt, and I bought them in on Sunday or Monday night because they were going up 0-1 and they still haven't gone up 0-1. You feel awful, don't you? It's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I hate the start of the season, particularly the, the first few weeks, because not only are the price rise sites completely unreliable a lot of the time because they haven't got the data to know, you know which threshold mm. it's going to meet, but also every point one means it's almost like a point five because we talked about the 8 million, so if one of them goes down or up, how much more difficult it is to move. It's the same with the 4 million defenders. That's where I've been priced out of getting like a Lundstrom or something because I can't move my 4 million defender up to Lundstrom when he's 4.2, 4.3. It means I've got to move one of my other defenders down and then you're making a, a defensive transfer. It's, it's, it's a really, really tricky thing at the start of the season and it can make or break um, a lot of things. But I think you're right. You've got to, you, you've, you've got to, 
you've got to, the pay patience, you know, when, when you're talking to the, the, the big names, like the Fabios and the Finns and everyone, they all, they all say the consistently the same thing. They, they ignore price rises. It's the, it's the main consistent bit of feedback I've heard from pretty much every, every top, top manager. Um, you've always kind of, uh, every time I've listened to you, you know, going back to the scout cast, you've, you've always been the kind of the one that goes against a lot of these things and you play very emotionally and, and stuff and, and still do really well, obviously. But talking gen- generally speaking, the, the advice from the very top is be patient. Don't, don't take so many hits yeah. and, and ignore price rises. That's just what you consistently Yeah, hear. I mean, I, I, having said that, right, I do think locking in value and trying to get on value, mm. try and get on risers and get rock falls That's always been a big team. part of your game, isn't it? Because you talk so Yeah, it, it, it is. It is, but... It's a difference when it depends on the weighting of that in your decision making. Like, if it's a player you really want, if like, say for example, I don't have Mount, I go for Diaz. Mount scores two at Chelsea, and I go, I really want Mount. Right, that's fine. I can make that transfer, and obviously, I'll look at it and go, oh, I better do it now because Mount's going up. Fine. But what you don't want to do is look at the price rises and fallers and go, I wasn't thinking of getting Mount for Diaz, but now I see Mount going up and Diaz going down suddenly I feel like I should get Mount. So that's where it's wrong. It's like, it's okay if you've already made that decision for the right reasons, as in, I want to get Mount, he's got good fixtures, he scored at Everton, Diaz looked disappointing, I want to swap Diaz for Mount. And then you go, oh, let's have a look at the price. Right? Oh, look, Mount's going up on Monday night, I better do it quickly. That's fine. I don't mind that. I think that can work, right? Mm. But don't do it. Don't look on Monday night and go, oh, I was kind of thinking about Mount, but now I see him going up. Maybe I need to make that yeah, call yeah. now. Yes, I do. Yes. We're all and guilty you're, of it, you're, We're you know all guilty I mean? of Yeah, it. I know we are. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. So it's fine to chase value. It's fine to move players out who are going down the value. I'm a big advocate of that. But do it for the right reasons. Don't do it just because of the value. Yeah. Is what I'm yeah. Well said. Uh, it's got a, almost like a kind of ownership, another debate, isn't it? You, you get a player in because you fear the ownership, but you also get a player because you fear that he's going to go up too much. You won't be able to afford it. It doesn't always mean he's the best player to get. Bandwagons can happen to crap players just as much as they can happen to good ones. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing to think about this season is we've got that wild card that you can play early. You can play in game week two or three if you want mm. to. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think we have to get too carried away with price rises and falls in the first couple of weeks because you know that in three, four, five or six, you're playing that wild card. And because there are there's Nico Williams at 4 million. There's Andreas at 4 or 5. There's Patterson at 4 million. There is value there to be had. So you can, like, let players go up a bit. You don't have to panic too much because you know you can get a decent side out and there's value there you can get to to accommodate the rises a bit. That's why, you know, as long as if you're looking and going, I'm not going to play the wild call to 9, 10, or 11, then it's a different story. But I don't think many are going to be looking at it like that. Yep. Well said. Um, I think the next I'll, I'll take the next one because I think this this one yeah. um, uh, applies to me I think it was probably the main conscious thing that I did last season to actually finish quite high and I mean it's it's easy to say when you you know I, I got off to a pretty decent start and kind of kept on from there and it, it, but my main thing was not just to chase shiny new things that cropped up one week and it was really to look at who are my worst players in my side who are my lowest scoring mm. players who are the ones with the worst stats who are the ones that aren't playing or getting benched and just take those guys out and just make sure they're the ones going, not taking out the guys that maybe have had a bit of a blip but are still doing okay just because I want someone who's suddenly like emerged. When you've got crap players stinking out your team, you need to move them out. And that, that to me was, was probably the, the main thing that I did because I've, I've been too guilty of just leaving them in and hoping that they'll 
come into some kind of form, even though the signs weren't there. Yeah, and that, and that's it. And it's like sometimes you like it's it's like murdering your darlings, right? It's like you can be really proud of a decision. You're going to go. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for Bailey because I really think he's going to fly out the blocks. And then he blanks the first two or three games, or he doesn't start game week two, and and then you think, oh no, I, I don't want to admit that was wrong. Mm. I'll, I'll I'll hold on to him, and instead of getting rid of Bailey, I'll get rid of another player. He's only five million, something like that, and then you yeah, end up playing. He's, him he's only five anyway. million. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll get rid of one of my five million defenders. I'll get rid of I don't know Zinchenko because he's playing left back, and you do that instead of getting rid of Bailey when Bailey's not even starting for Villa or reliably starting for Villa. That kind of thing. Whereas Zinchenko starts every week, Arsenal can keep clean sheets any week, and any week now he's going to move to midfield, right? That kind of decision would be wrong because Bailey's your weak point. You get rid of Bailey, right? Don't be too wedded to that decision. And it sounds obvious, doesn't it? Get rid of the players who aren't either, you know, aren't reliable starters, have an injury, are injury doubts. So why would you make your transfers elsewhere on your team? Often you do it because you go, no, I really want, like, I really want to get Rashford and I'll take, I don't know, I'll, I'll take my, I'll take Martinelli out to get Rashford, even though Martinelli's playing every week. Yeah, okay, exactly. he might have blanked the first two games, but I'll take Martinelli out. And they're sitting in your defence is a player on a yellow flag who exactly. won't even turn up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you'll still do that because you really want Rashford. So you'll take, you'll choose your transfer based on the player you want, rather than choosing your transfer on the player you need to get rid of. Mm. And that's that's what you should try and make sure. But you can do it sometimes, but make sure you're checking yourself when you do do that. Check yourself, like it. Check yourself. Check yourself. Nice. I, I should have done that, should I? <laughs> yes, you should. I think you should do it again <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, if I do that whilst wearing Jay Ling's merchandise, <laughs> it'd be wrong. I'm not wearing. Oh, you've, anyway. got, you've got to buy your top eye pick for you for next fest. Yeah, next fest. they've uh, they're out of stock. It's very low stock. I've tried. I've, but, you can't um, back out yeah, of that now. If you back you know, out of that uh, and and you go for Salah. <laughs> You're not allowed on the pod I've, next year. I've tried emailing their customer support, but you know I'm not getting the answers back. Um, yeah, you know, it's looking right. ropey at That's the moment. Right. I'll, I'll buy it for you. You can pay me back. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> <That's> even worse. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, move on. Move yep. on swiftly. On. Yeah. You, you can go. Okay. Um, don't underestimate form opportunities as a reason to play the first wild card. Less of an yeah. less of an less of a thing this season, maybe though. Yeah, it, pro- it probably is. It probably is, uh, but it might not be. It might be like, say, for example, I'm I'm sitting here thinking I'm going to play at five or six, probably six between six and seven, right? But what if I go? What if there are two or three players flying out of blocks, looking great form, and I go, no, I'm not going to play the wild card now because my team looks all right, and I'm going to play it in six, so I'm going to stick to that, but. Just because your team looks all right, if there are players absolutely flying, sometimes it's best to move. Right, even you know, depending if you know your rank, you might have had a really good start. You're in the top 100k after two or three weeks. Mm. Don't sit and think, oh, actually, you know, I don't need to change anything. You might not need to, but just do check that actually are are there opportunities still here on form players. And I go back to, I think it was Josh from Always Cheating played his wild card brilliantly. A couple of seasons back, when Kane and Son were on fire, if you remember, when Jose was manager, and they started as well. It was after the four goals at Southampton that Son got. Kane and Son were linking up brilliantly. Um, I was doing well. I think I was ranked fairly highly, but Josh was even higher than me. I think he was doing well that season. 
And he still played his wild card because he looked at his team and thought, even though I'm doing well, and even though I look at my team and I haven't got many changes to make, I think Son and Kane, I need to get on them. And he got on them, played the wild card, and they went to town. Do, do you remember where we, where we were when we heard that? We were on the FBL show. <laughs> and we laughed at him. <laughs> and we, he came on the FBL show, live from America, and he said, I'm going to be playing the wild card, and we looked at him. He doesn't need to play the world guy. His, well, his team fine. What's he's, he on about? He's just shoving off, yeah. right? Basically, that's what we thought. And he actually said, "No, I want to play it from a position of strength." Because often we play the wild card in panic mode, as I'm doing really badly. Got a lot of players that are rubbish. Need to play the wild card and get it out there. Well, that obviously is the default way of playing the wild card. But if you're doing well, don't go. Don't necessarily write off the wild card as an option. Don't necessarily go. Well, I don't need to play the wild card, so I'm going to save yeah, yeah. it to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Particularly this season when you know you can refresh your team between 17 and 18, right? So if you get off to a flyer, consider using it off from a position of strength like Josh did because it can really work as well. Yep, nice. Okay, that's that one. You go to the next one. Go on. We'll do the next one. Uh, yeah. Monitor your risk-taking and don't be driven to take risks by emotions of disappointment and or frustration. I mean, I, I am so bad with, with this. I, I, you know, I, I think we both, we're both very emotional FPL managers, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> both of us. I think mm. in some ways, I think that's why people like watching us, you know, do these streams and do match of the day and, and things, but it definitely does drive decisions. Um, you know, when I'm watching something and I'm so down by a certain result or a certain player scoring that I don't own or my captain blanking, mm. Is you just you just always want to just do something about it, don't you? I can't I can't go through that again. That was absolutely horrendous. And this is where again I, I did where, it last season. Yeah, is where ownership again plays a big yeah. part because when you get punished by a player yeah. who's owned 60 percent of the of the game, you you just want to get them in just so you're not punished by by them in the same way. Well, last season, I um I jumped on Lukaku, didn't I? And jumped off Torres quite famously. But I also played the wild card to get Foden off the back of his performance at Brighton. Um, so twice last season, I can point to me reacting and taking risks based on emotions of disappointment or frustration. Like, uh, I think the Lukaku one wasn't so much... Well, I guess it was disappointment because Torres, I got Torres in for the first two game week and City beat Norwich 5-0. He played and he didn't get anything. Oh, you, oh, you, oh, you oh, got Lukaku because you were trying to be was, way too clever. No, no, but that, <laughs> that, that contributed to it, though. Had Torres got me something against Norwich, I mm. don't think I'd have done it. Really? Yeah, maybe. No, I don't think I'd have done it because I would have gone, well, Torres is definitely going to start in the next game against Arsenal. He's just scored against Norwich, so I'm going to keep him. So I would have looked at Lukaku and thought, oh, I really want to get him in, but I probably wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have wanted to get rid of Torres. But because Torres got me nothing against Norwich, in a 5-0 win for City, when I saw Lukaku played Arsenal, and I thought, I really want to get Lukaku, and when I looked at my options to get Lukaku in, it involved selling Torres, I didn't even think twice, because I thought, well, Torres just played in a 5-0 win, what's he going to get against Arsenal? He's not going to go to town against Arsenal, is he? He's just got nothing against Norwich in a 5-0. And what did he do? He got 18 All I points. can say is, thank God you did take him out, because that made that, that match of the day episode. It did, mate. <laughs> it did. It did. But that is where... Frustration played into my decision-making. Yes, the overriding thing was I need to get Lukaku, definitely. But definitely the frustration with Torres also played into it as well. And I didn't think, oh, I've got to be careful here. I'm, I'm mm. reacting. 
and reacting in a negative way to Torres off the back of one game or two games where he's blank. Right? Yes, it was Norwich. Yes, it was 5-0. But I should have thought to myself, Arsenal were no great shakes. And, you know, they just lost to Chelsea and Lukaku played well. It ripped them apart, didn't I? I didn't think, oh, I didn't think that's Arsenal rubbish, so I need to keep Torres. I thought Lukaku's brilliant. I need to get Lukaku when it should have been the other way around. I still you can't know? believe you moved heaven and earth for Lukaku. He had Liverpool, didn't he, in the game you got him in? I don't know if he did. He, probably, he might he have done. Yeah, yeah he, did. He, did. he did. He did Liverpool yeah. away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James got sent off as well, didn't he? he? Did. I had Reece James. He got sent off. Oh, it, you know. What a day. But what a day. The other one was, was Foden. Foden at Brighton. All, all season last season, really, he didn't, he didn't look like he was going to be consistent. He didn't look like he was going to be a must-own. Then at Brighton, he put on a really good show and he got quite a lucky, a lucky couple of goals. I think one was a deflection. The other one was a decent goal. And he, he played really well and he played in the false nine. And I looked at that and thought, got to get Foden. And getting Foden meant I had to play the wild card. And I played the wild card and it was an absolute disaster, that mm. wild card. Because I played it game week 10. And I think we saw a couple of episodes ago, it was myself and Matthew played our game week, our wild cards in game week 10. And we both plummeted after that. Mm. It was just the timing of who you got at that time. So... Yeah, I made two big mistakes there, off the you know off the back of disappointment and frustration. I was for sure. If you remember weeks before, we had that argument about is it Foden, is it Jota? I know they're both rubbish. I backed <laughs> I backed Jota, you yeah. knew back Foden, yeah. and I think the fact that Foden did brilliantly at Brighton and made me think, oh, I've got that wrong. You know, me backing Jota over Foden got that wrong, and the frustration of that meant I had to get Foden, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't realise what was playing a part in my decision making. And emotions of, of uh, the emotion of frustration and disappointment that I got that wrong, I'd gone for Jota, not Foden, was feeding into the decision and it was a wrong one. Mm. And so you just got to yeah, just check when you're making a decision, what's feeding into this? What are the things feeding into it correctly? You know, can I trust them? And, you know, I, twice at least last season I didn't check do that. yourself. Aye. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> not doing it again. <laughs> Uh, when selecting risk prioritise going up against effective ownership rather than against expected points Mm. yeah so I see this as I like taking risks Um, but I think I like to take risks more often with EO than with backing a bad player or a player that's not proven so what I mean by that is yeah I'll go Son rather than Salah game week one I don't know what the ownership is of Son, really. I haven't even looked, but I imagine it's lower than Salah. 20%? It's not not really playing into my thinking. It's more about... I'm doing it mainly, like I said, because of the captaincy and flexibility game week two, really. Um, But that's an example of... You're taking a risk because you're going against EO, but you're not taking a risk on a bad player. Son can do wonders in any game against any opponent. If I was going... I don't know, let's think about it. If I was going... I think well, Diaz, Diaz over, over Salah for like a captaincy is probably a good example. Yeah. Yeah, to an extent. I'm talking more about transfers, but I guess it works for the captaincy as well. Yeah. 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 If, you get, if you're going to if you're gonna move off Salah for the captaincy, you'd go to Kane or Son or De Bruyne or Haaland, wouldn't you? Players that are proven to be at his level or near his level. You wouldn't necessarily well, go down to... That contradicts the, the next bit. Go on then. 
well, check beyond the obvious captain pick to test if there are any... Oh, no, it doesn't contradict. Safely playing. Yeah, safely play. Sorry, yeah. I'll measure it again. Check beyond yeah. the obvious captain pick to test if there are any safe elite player opportunities to bet against the favourite option. Yeah. yeah. I mean, elite player is is kind of a, a, a bit vague, I guess, but it, I guess it doesn't just constitute premiums. It also constitutes players, um, you know, kind of, I mean, Madison was the first player that came to my mind, but if can he enter into that that bracket of, you know, if Leicester have got a great fixture and he's on all the set pieces and, and take, and Leicester, you know, playing well and his underlying stats are good, does he then go into that elite player bracket? He's not, it's not just a punt, I, right? You're not just punting on like, no, I guess, not. Johnson, I guess not. But you've—it's not I just, guess, it's not just like, premiums, right? No, I, I think there'll be times in the season where a player like we saw it with Lingard and Gundogan, didn't we? Right. Sometimes a player that you wouldn't necessarily go, well, they're they're an elite player, hits a run of confidence. I won't say form, but hits a run of confidence where suddenly you think, well, they they could score in any game, and they've scored in the last four or five, or they've returned in the last four or five. But suddenly they are a captain option. It only happens with a few players a few times. Most of the time, the captaincy, you're going to go to one of the elite players, one of the proven players from past seasons, one of the players you know can deliver double figures on a, con- on a, con- on a consistent basis that has got a good fixture. So game at one is a good example. Kane and Son play Southampton at home. Now, normally, you'd go, well, that's a- they're brilliant, Captain Hopkins. How much, how much, how far behind are Kane and Son at home to Southampton? compared to Salah at Fulham. What's the gap there in terms of capsi? We'll go back to the chips thing. Remember the thing we did? I'll give you 10 roulette chips. Mm. You can put some, you can split them. Oh yeah, we started between, doing that last season, yeah. didn't we? Then we stopped. We'll do, we'll, do, we'll do it now, right? You've got three options. You've got Son, Kane and Salah. Where would you put your 10 chips? Would you put all 10 on Salah? Probably not. Would you? What would you do? I'd probably put six or seven on Salah. Six, right. six, six on Salah three on Son, one on Kane. Right. That's what I mean, right? Mm. So there you look at it and go, now normally in most weeks, you'd probably put more than six on Salah. You'd probably put seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Maybe even nine, right? So in the weeks where you're going, you know what, I put five or six on Salah, you've got to think, hold on a minute, that means there's an option where, I, where, else, where I'm looking elsewhere. Do I need to look harder at that? And that, that's the weeks where you go, yeah, actually to gain more rank, I'm going to take that risk. And it it's not a big risk because you're saying to yourself, I'm giving this player 30% chance of scoring better than Salah, right? Which is, is it, what you just said there. Son is, and, is, you're giving Son and Kane 40% chance collectively of, of doing yeah, better yeah. than Salah. I mean, it's a very interesting, because I mean, the, the first example that springs to mind is the whole fiasco of Salah and Havertz last season. Um, I yeah. mean, if, you, if, you'd offered, oh, yeah. if, you'd, if you'd offered me roulette chips then, I would have, yeah. I would have probably have gone sixty forty Salah and and Havertz because yeah. I really, yeah. I really did think Havertz was, was, was going to benefit from that. It wasn't a wrong call. No, the output was was terrible, absolutely yeah, yeah. disastrous. But Chelsea won. Well, they win eight nil against eight nil, Norwich. Yeah, Mount yeah and he got nothing. So I, I the still only look at that. player to get no no points. Yeah. I still look at that and think that wasn't a wrong call. It was just incredibly unfortunate, and it wasn't the only time that happened last season. As we said, it was. I still think it was a season of extremes, and we won't see that to the same extent this season. But I, I, those, those are the weeks where I think, you know, look at the favourite they captaincy and go, right, what percentage chance would I put on a, one of the other players 
outscoring them. And most of the time when you've got Salah, you you very rarely, you often go, well, nine out of 10, mm. eight out of 10, right? You're back Salah every week. That's the problem with owning him. It's not the problem with owning him, but it does narrow your decision making when it comes to cancer. You're very likely to go to Salah. Um, but there are some weeks when it's 60, 40, or even yeah, 70, good, 30, when you think it. it's worth considering. Yeah. If the alternative is a player like Kane, Son, or Haaland, who, you know, could easily outscore him. Yeah. I wouldn't do, like you say, Salah to Madison in any other week. Mm. Madison would have to be in very strong form and Leicester would have to be... I mean, I, 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 def- I definitely look for opportunities with, with the captaincy. I mean, I, I did captain Salah in that United game, but only because I wasn't really convinced with anyone else in, in my side. That was the week, wasn't it? Lukaku got injured in the, in the Champions League. I would have... I, would have, I can yeah, say with 100% yeah. certainty I would have bought in Lukaku, captained him at home at Norwich um, if, he, if he was fit for that match. And he, I mean, he could have got four or five goals. You never really know. But, you know, to beat Salah's 24 or whatever he got in that match would, would have been almost impossible. But I do like to look at fixtures in which, okay, Salah's playing Man City at home. You know, he could get something in that. But really, what are the odds that he's going to get 15, 20 points? If he does, fair play. But are there other options that, uh, that people aren't really considering? Because it's just such an obvious boring move to, to go for Salah that's, that's definitely why I, I like to do the, the captaincy but it's well, yeah, becoming I mean, increasingly more difficult because Liverpool and City are just so far ahead of everyone else they are but I, Son and Kane are the exception aren't they they are players who yeah for me it doesn't matter they're not playing for City or Liverpool they well, they, what they were they were at the back end of last season um, I mean, my my sense is that Spurs are, are going yeah. to be stronger this year, but I still I yeah. don't have the, I don't have that trust in Spurs as a team that I do as, as I do with Liverpool and City. I I think not a lot. I mean, if if you're saying things have changed at Spurs, you you kind of think change, things have changed for the better. But yeah, while I said earlier, you can't base anything on last season's data. Son and Kane are seasoned Premier League players who are good performers in any season. What we saw last season was they got better in terms of output under Conte and if anything Conte has added to his team and made him stronger yeah. so I don't think it's even though you can't go off what we saw at the end of last season I don't think it's a massive stretch to say it's, that it's, it's can, Son are a good bet it's can they eliminate losses like to Burnley or to Brighton that those those kind yeah. of you know 1-0 losses 2-0 losses where they just don't really yeah. show up I, the signs are they, they will because I think I think Perisic is a great signing I think Richarlison gives them more cover you know, they're, they're just stronger, aren't they, in, in every department? So, mm. yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, don't underestimate the eye test as a method of identifying opportunities that statistics or models are yet to respond or adapt to. Um, bet people were wondering how long it would be till I brought up Bruno Gamirish. Um, But that that was that was purely off, off the eye test. And I do think, like, obviously there's the grass FC and analytics stuff that, that goes on, but I, I, I strongly don't think you can completely rule out the eye test and 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 look watching games and seeing what what you, I mean the stats pick up a lot of stuff you know touches heat maps mm. everything but sometimes you can you can get more from from watching the game than you can purely just from the stats they, stats don't always tell the the whole story so I definitely like to supplement it with the eye test I mean t- to be fair I mean the, we talk about kind of ridiculous examples I can't remember any eye test decision going as well as as that did for me that week um, but it's it's definitely something that I, I use a lot. I like to watch as many games as mm. possible and use the stats to kind of supplement it. Um, yeah, and there I are can. some players as well that you watch and you just, you know from how they're performing or, you know, even their body language that they're either on or off form, right? So, you know, 
you know, Jesus's said data said won't be happy. Yeah, well, Jesus's data will probably be strong as always, right? Because it was at City, um, and he has looked confident pre-season. And so I do, I do think that he could start the season well. It's not enough to make me want to change my formation and structure to get him because I want to get uh, either Kane or Haaland, right? So I wouldn't do it, but. He's one player who, you know, at the moment you think well, he's playing with confidence. The finishes that we've seen pre-season, smile on his face, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's going to start every game. You know, you can't, you can't just go off the back of data with these players. Uh, Kane is another one. Like pre-season, he looks like he's lost weight. He looks in trim. He, he's the way he's sprinting, the way he's wanting the ball. He's another player you can watch with the with the eye test and you not even think of the data, yeah. but just it's look. It's him, off the ball. Play. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's off the ball stuff and. Someone just mentioned in the chat, uh, T.I. for Dennis versus King. That was a perfect yeah. example because you were never sold on on King. You were very much no. like, Dennis is the better player here. And yeah. that was, that was I think, one of the classic of analytics versus grass. I mean, in the end, they were both pretty pretty useless. Yeah, I King, think, Dennis got sent <laughs> off, didn't he, a few did. weeks later. I think Dennis yeah. was, was winning the race by a bit and then got sent off and, and ruined yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people's weeks. But, but I mean, Lingard, Lingard and, and Gundogan, right? Those two examples in the season I did well um, were both eye tests. Right. They had nothing to do. I mean, data in the end for Gundogan, because we did that episode, we said, look at the data behind Gundogan as well. Look at look at yeah. how he's getting chances in the box and so on. So data, it's a combination. I'm not saying you do everything based on the eye test you do, or you do everything based on data. Just don't underestimate. Don't look at data only and go, well, I haven't watched any matches. I haven't seen this guy play, but the data says yeah. he's doing really well. Check, the, <laughs> check him playing as well, right? Because there could be reasons why the data is showing what it is. It could be that, you know, like he's just been fortunate to get into those yeah. positions and have those shots, and yeah. he's not actually playing well or with any confidence. No, it was it was the, it was the key thing with with Gomez that in the games that I saw, he was willing to lay the ball off in midfield and get forward. And that and a, another player that does that every now and then, when you can kind of almost sense when his purple patches are coming, is Madison, because Madison can operate at mm. a very deep lying role and be happy spraying passes and stuff. It's when he sprays it and gets forward that's when you know, okay, he's on it this this match. And if that mm. happens consistently, he can have a season like he did last year, where he's but absolutely, it, yeah, know, absolutely fantastic. Um, Rob, Robo Eight Ball saying, "I test confirmation bias." Yeah, you got to be careful of that as well. Don't don't do what I did last season. Watch Lukaku in one game. Go, he's a world beater. Bring him in, and <laughs> right? so you can get it wrong as well, right? You can be too. That was a case of me going right behind the eye test with no data mm. and going, "I've got to do it." Um, so that don't do that. But it's a it's a balance, isn't it, between it the is. variables yeah, of your decision making? And what we're saying here is, don't underestimate the eye test. Don't play it down as well. I've seen the model day. I've seen the model. I've seen the data. I'm going to go off the back of that. Yeah, he didn't play well in the last game. In fact, he hasn't had a good game yet this season. But the data says go with it. Bring in the eye test as well because that might be the tiebreaker in, in your decision. Um, yep. Lingard's a very good example. Like if 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 I see Lingard playing that first game at Newcastle where he looks super fit and he's tr- he's playing with a flourish, you know, he's trying tricks and looking confident as he did in that first few West Ham games, then I'll be thinking, right, I don't care what the data says. I want to be getting Lingard. Mm. It doesn't work with every player, but there are some players that you learn over a period of time that how much well, Vard- weight Vardy, to put on the Vardy's at another one as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, remember yeah. when his XG was, was really poor and he, you know, barely any shots, any touches or shots in the box, but... You just watch him and you see his intelligence of how he kind of hangs off the last man and makes those runs. And you think, yeah, the stats can't really point to that. How that intelligence of knowing exactly when to to run, that's not going to come out in numbers and, and stats. It's mm. you get that from from watching it. 
Yep. Yeah, and, and we forget these players are just human beings. Like They're affected by off-the-pitch stuff. We don't know that stuff. No model can know what's going on off the pitch for that player. You get clues by off on his confidence and his mentality by watching them play. Right, that's mm. the only place you the only place you can go. Is this player happy? Is he confident? The only way you can deduce that, if you can anyway, I mean, arguably you can't. But and the only guide you've got is by watching them play. And with some players, the signals, the tells are more obvious than others. Right, yeah. and we just listed some. And that's a, what we're getting. A, a, a player that I really want to watch before I make a decision on is, is Grealish. Because I yeah. think Grealish has the potential to be an absolute bargain at seven million. But I owned yeah. him a lot last season. I watched him a lot last season. And when he's playing that far wide, he just he just isn't threatening. He just he he, he takes up some quite good positions. But there's always a player in front of him, or he's getting the ball too wide and not really influencing the kind of the central areas. If that's going to change next season, we're going to see him coming inside a bit more. He's a player that I want 100. percent yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing with Grealish for me is, is he playing that role where he's just playing out wide, he's attracting the the, the double, the two players to create space for Cancelo or or somebody else, right? whoever's left side. Um, I imagine Grealish will be left side. That's what I fear Grealish was used for last season. Is he going to be removed from that role this season? Because... You know, that obviously creates space for others. Grealish does do that because he attracts defenders. The minute Grealish gets on the ball, defences go, we've got to get to him with more than one player. And obviously Pep's like that. Pep likes that it creates space. If we see that again, if we see that's the role he's got, he isn't going to get returns because he's four or five passes removed from the goal. He's not the one providing the assist. So that's the problem with him. I think, I think if, if, if Cancelo moves over to right back, it might free up Grealish people. I mean, depending who, who kind of comes in, but mm. he kind of has to cover, doesn't he? Because Cancelo bombs forward so much and, yeah. and likes to cut in and, and shoot. It pushes whoever's out on the left a, a bit wider. Um, so yeah, if, if Cucurello does come in and nails down left, left back spot, then maybe we'll see a slightly different role for Grealish. I don't know. It's, it, again, it's, it's kind of a wait and see type thing. We'll, and we'll know pretty, pretty quickly, I think, what, what, his, what his role is. We're going to do two hours yep. again, Mark. Done an hour of 32. Yep. We are. Um, <laughs> last one then. And this really applied to me last season and I'm, I'm w- making sure I'm not going to do it again this season. Don't set long-term plans that could box in your thinking. Even when chips or double game weeks are involved, always try to remain agile with your decisions. So last season, classic, which is one of the several mistakes I've talked about tonight. Last season, I went for that tactic with the chips where it was... Um, I think it was, was it wild card? I can't remember the order of the chips, but basically... Wild I card, free hit. Um... No, wild card, bench boost. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know, but I made a decision to go, right, this is the way I'm going to play my chips in this order, um, and I'm I'm going to stick to that plan because that gives me some advantage. But I think I... I, don't, I, I can't remember the order of the chips. That it was played, definitely wild card then free hit. But it was the blank. And, and yeah, it was a wild card and I wild carded to Arsenal because I thought they were going to get the double game week and as it turned out, they didn't get the double game week. Chelsea did. You played the free hit in 28. You reacted to the Chelsea double uh, double mm. game week. You got James in and he went mad at Burnley. You remember, right? I do. I do. And, I, and, and I couldn't do that because I'd already played the wild card and I'd already booked in the other chips. So I'd put myself in a situation where I couldn't react to the fact that Arsenal didn't get the double game week, Chelsea did. I couldn't react to Chelsea because my team wasn't structured in a way I could get James in, couldn't get Havertz in. And I think those who did, did really well. And that was all because I decided on my strategy. And that strategy, 
was based on around four or five game weeks in a row. So you were kind of, I was kind of long, long-term planning. And I'm one, I, the way I play FBL is I love, I love to think I've got a master plan. Aha, I've spotted something that nobody else has spotted and this is going to work brilliantly Lukaku for me. hat-trick against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, that was, <laughs> that was less long-term. That was less more opportunist, term. but... Um, so I know that's the kind of manager I am. So I've got to put this as a lesson so I don't do it again. So I, in a way, I'm saying it now in that I'm, oh, I'm going to play the wildcard five or six. Now, although I'm saying that, if I think I need to play it in game week two or three, I will do it. I'm not going to go, no, I've decided to play it in game week six and I'm not going to change my mind. That, that would be doing what I'm saying here. That would mm. be committing to a long-term plan and then not staying agile not making short-term decisions because that long-term plan is in place and you don't want to break it. I think that's a big error. Actually. Uh, and it was seen at its worst last season. Yeah, actually, I'd argue that the Lukaku move was that because you yeah. it was a long-term move in the sense that he had bad fixtures and you were getting him early. And it, yeah, meant, yeah. And it, and it meant that you were boxed in because you weren't going to get him in for like Liverpool and then Arsenal, wherever the next game was, and then sell him before the good fixtures. No. You, no. Could, you could have given him those two games, been flexible about it, then change your mind. Yeah, I could have done, yeah. I, I I thought to myself, I'm going to get him in now because everyone's going to want him. And if I get in early, that'll give me an advantage because while they're doing things to get Lukaku, mm. I'd have already got him and I would have been ahead. Exactly what I mean. That was me going, aha, a potential plan that could get me an edge on everybody else. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I committed to it. And just, you just, you just, it just, looks, it just looks so good when it comes off, though, doesn't it? That's the key thing. Well, <laughs> and so bad yeah, I, 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 I guess that's it. You know, I, say, I think... I am the type of manager to want to do that. I will go for the Hollywood pass, if you like. Right. It's like there, if there's if there's something Same. that looks to be high reward, um, then I'll talk down the risks or yeah, ignore yeah, the risks and I'll frame like it in a way yeah. to go for the high reward option. Yeah. Um, and you know that's just me. That's, that's, how, that's how I want to play though. That's how I want to play though. Like that that kind of I, like just because we're looking at these kind of lessons and and talking about it doesn't mean I want to lose that sense of adventure no. with, with transfer because that's, that is FPL thing. that's the only reason I play it if it was just robotic pick this player and go with that it's, it's that's why the eye test is important that's why I like to you know try and spot something that someone else hasn't done but I, I do think with the long term planning FPL just doesn't lend itself to that level of scrutiny to a long term plan you have you have to kind of remain fit. So it's good to have a well, plan well it didn't last yeah it didn't last season when COVID was about as well no. and that was a silly thing yeah and if you remember, it caught me out the season before last as well, where I went bench boost. I saved the bench boost for the Leeds double game week. And the Leeds-Burnley fixture was postponed due to COVID. And I was left with Leeds against Brighton. And they lost well, They lost 2-0 and it was dreadful. And you said that. So like, again, I'd committed to a long-term plan, went with it, and it was a disaster. Um, you know, So I think anything which means you're going, well, I'm going to do this in that game week. Then in game week, three game weeks ahead, I'm going to do this. It's like, don't. Don't commit to that. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, that's it. That's all of the lessons. I, that was, I, I thought we'd get through those quite quickly, but in typical black box fashion, um, we haven't. Should we look at some teams, team drafts? Yeah, I, I, I think that's good. Though. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think like, if you're new to FBL, I mean, there won't be many people watching, I don't think, in their first season. Um, but hopefully there was something there for people who, who are seasoned players. But hopefully as well, like if, you, if there's people watching who know people who are new to FBL, link them to this because I think there's some stuff there that could help them. Um, I think there's some stuff there to reassure them that even people like us who've played the game a long time oh, yeah. make, make those mistakes. So right? many. So exactly. many. So many mistakes. Yeah. 
That's it for part one of FPL Black Box episode 76. Join us for part two when Az and I will look at our latest lineups and answer some questions from the community. Podcast Network.